My name is Marshall Brown, and I'm uh, the senior pastor here. I'm going to teach on the passage, that beautiful passage that Molly just read so beautifully. I do want to say hello, good morning to all of you. I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I got to spend some time, it was my privilege to spend some time this week with some folks who are not able to join us in person, so I want to say hello to, uh, to all of you who are joining us uh, online. Let me pray before we look at this passage of scripture. Our great God, we uh, come into this room um, and we're in all different sorts of places in our lives and emotionally, the excitement and the fear of a new school year with all that brings for for parents, for children, and, and for all of us, Lord. And so I pray that you would meet us in this text, in this story of Jacob and his ladder, your ladder, uh, the way that you met Jacob. And God, I pray that using the words of this text, that you would make this room a sanctuary, that you would make it a gate of heaven. Make these words live, Lord Christ. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. go. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Never done that. thought that'd be kind of fun. Somebody name it. What song? There we go. Written in 1970, one of the most recognizable and beloved rock and roll songs of all time, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Well, this morning, we look at the original stairway to heaven or stairway from heaven in this story, Genesis 28. I don't know if Jimmy Page and others uh, use this text for their song, but it's certainly the image. And what is it about this image that has captivated people for thousands of years? This story is 3,000 years old. That rock and roll song is almost 50 years old. It actually is 50 years old. What is it about this song and this idea that captivates us? I believe there's a very human feeling here. Climbing a stairway. Climbing a ladder to heaven. Think about this. In contrast to the animals. I mean, think about animals. Animals, they do their thing. They're born. They eat. They breed. They die. Animals never plan a vacation or a party. They don't study hard to get into a school. They don't work hard to get that promotion. They don't deceive. But humans, we're always, always climbing ladders. There are different ladders. There's the ladder of religion, the ladder of success, the ladder of comfort, the ladder of ease. But we're all climbing ladders. And we're climbing ladders because we believe these staircases, these ladders take us somewhere to joy, to satisfaction, to rest. Metaphorically, we all believe, no matter what you believe religiously, we all believe there is a stairway to heaven. So this fall, we've been doing a sermon series. We just started several weeks ago. Amazing grace, amazing grace, the life of Jacob. And the definition we have been using for grace, we certainly see in today's story. 
Because today we see an undeserving person, an undeserving man, offered unconditional acceptance by an unobligated God who uses this grace to begin to change Jacob. In today's story, Genesis 28, stairway to heaven, stairway from heaven, this is a conversion story. This is Jacob coming to faith, beginning to walk with God. Or maybe it's better to say it this way. This is a story of a restless man beginning to come to the end of himself, which is to say a restless man beginning to find his rest in God. I just want to look through the text just kind of verse by verse. I want to see that Jacob runs far away, God comes near, and then Jacob responds. But first, Jacob runs far away. Now, in this story, Jacob is running from God, but really Jacob is running from everything in his life. If you were with us last week or the week before that, you know that Jacob has stolen and cheated his brother out of both his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing. He has cheated, he has lied, he has stolen, he has blasphemed. And his brother, his older brother Esau, is naturally outraged by what has been done to him by his younger brother Jacob, the man in this story. And so Esau is enraged and he vows to kill, to murder Jacob. And so to escape a violent death, verse 10, Jacob flees. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and he went towards Haran. He's fleeing and he's actually going to live with his uncle, a man named Laban, who we will meet in weeks to come in the city of Haran. And Jacob is not in a good place emotionally, spiritually, or even physically. This is perhaps the lowest point of his low life. At this moment, the moment we meet Jacob, he is self-absorbed. He is angry. He has unresolved guilt. And he is alone. And actually the circumstances that the author portrays actually portray his exile, his estrangement, his disconnectedness. Look with me at verse 11. It says, he came to a certain place and stayed there the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. The very imagery captures where he is internally. He's literally in, the text says, a certain place. It's no place. It doesn't even merit a name. At this place, at this point in the story, it's such an inconsequential place that it's not even named. And then it's dark. The sun has set. Evil and danger surround him. Now, he has stolen his brother's blessing, and the blessing does entail material benefits, material blessings, money, wealth. But that has not yet materialized for him. At this point in the story, he literally has nothing to his name. There's no entourage. There's no servants. There's no animals. There's not even a pillow. There's no protection. In fact, the reason he actually uses a stone as a pillow is more likely not for comfort, but as some sort of shield from the night, from the animals, from the predators that would roar, and also uh, from other people. It's like having something at his back. Jacob's past is clouded. His future is very uncertain. He's exposed. He's alone. He's homeless. He's surrounded by danger. This brilliant this is like brilliant, this, this is brilliant cinematography. This person should, the, the writer of this book, most likely Moses, should be a movie writer. This scene depicts, it displays how much Jacob's life has fallen apart. And then there's this. At this moment, Jacob has zero relationship or even a desire for a relationship with God. If you were with us last week, you saw 
that Jacob said when he was talking to his father. He says, and the Lord your God gave me success. Not the Lord my God, but the Lord your God. He has no relationship with God. I mean, Jacob at this moment in his life, he thinks his problem is with other people. His dad doesn't love him. His brother now hates him. And he's separated from the one person who has loved him, his mother. But until Jacob deals with God, he cannot begin to put the pieces of his life back together. But make sure you understand this. Jacob is in this moment, he is not looking for God. He has not gone to the wilderness to have a God experience. He's not on pilgrimage, okay? He is not looking for God. And so that night, this man who has run away from everything in the middle of nowhere, a place that doesn't even have a name, he goes to sleep. He doesn't pray that God will be with him. He does not, he's not repentant, and he's certainly not a spiritual pilgrim searching for God. He's running from everything, alone and afraid in the dark. And as he sleeps, in other words, as he is totally passive, he is asleep, God shows up to him, in a dream. As he runs from God, God comes near to him in a dream. Verses 12 through 15. Now before I talk about this dream, I want you to notice something that's really important to understand, if a little painful. Jacob has three primary encounters with God in his life. In each of those intimate encounters, when he draws near to God, when God draws near to him, they are at critical junctures. When things are going bad and often he is in the physical wilderness. Here he is fleeing from his murderous brother. He's left his home. He's homeless. The next time he meets God, he's about to face his aggrieved brother. That's 20 years later when he's about to meet Esau. And that's when he wrestles with God. And then when he, his sons have angered the neighboring people with this terrible act. Uh, he, that's the other time that he meets God when he is renamed by God. Which is to say that most of Jacob's encounters, all of Jacob's encounters with God are in the wilderness in a difficult time, in a difficult place. Now, if you spend much time around Christians, if uh, maybe you're, you, don't, you don't know what you believe, you're here checking things out, we're so glad you're here. There's this phrase that Christians like to use. I don't like to use Christian terminology, but there's this phrase that Christians will throw around, uh, the wilderness experience, okay, the wilderness experience. Um, and it speaks to this idea that all of the saints in the scriptures and Jesus himself all had wilderness experiences. I won't list them all, but all of the significant saints in scripture have wilderness experiences. Sometimes they're, most often they're literal, sometimes they're metaphorical wilderness, difficult times. And the reason is this, in scripture and actually in life, there is no nearness to God without a wilderness experience. And the reason there's no nearness to God without a wilderness experience, because to come to God, we must first come to the end of ourself. And it's the wilderness and difficult experiences that take us to the end of ourselves, where we actually look to and need God. Now, for most of us, it's not a literal wilderness. But you have all passed through wildernesses. You might be in the wilderness right now. Maybe you've made a big move. You're here, you're new to the area. Maybe you're a student and you are moving to a new school. Maybe you're being promoted to New Trier. A thousand people right in your class, 4,000 in the school. Maybe you have a new job or you've lost a job. Maybe there's been a diagnosis within you or within your family, cancer or the such. Maybe you're making a whole new group of friends because you've had broken relationships with those friends. Maybe you're recently divorced. Maybe someone close to you has died 
or is dying. You are in the wilderness. And these moments, difficult as they are, are oftentimes when God draws near. When God draws near and when the numbness goes away and we start to feel God and experience him. It is certainly what happened to Jacob. This is why, and before I get back to the story, this is why I always want to warn you. When you pray that your faith would grow, I want to grow in my faith. God tends to answer that prayer, but it's not with comfort and ease most often. He tends to take us to difficult places to draw us to him. Because again, you have to come to the end of yourself before you will really go to and look to God. So Jacob is in this wilderness place and God comes to him in a dream. He comes to him in a dream, and it's show and tell. It's the beginning of school. It's show and tell. He shows him three things, and he tells him three things. Look with me. I will read verse 12. And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, on the ladder. Now, we'll see three things here. First, uh, the first thing that God shows to Jacob is what the text calls a ladder. It's best understood as a stairway. If you think of like a, a ziggurat, you know what a ziggurat is? It's basically a pyramid with more stair-steppy kind of thing. Uh, that, this is what this is, all right? This is not, though, a stairway to heaven. Led Zeppelin had it wrong. It's a stairway from heaven. The literal, verse 12, is literally a stairway placed toward earth. The, hev- the, 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 the image here is of a stairway coming down from heaven. So that's the first thing is this ladder, this stairway. The second thing that Jacob sees are angels, angels going up and down the staircase. Now, I'm not going to get it. This actually be interesting to kind of go off on this, but angels are the ones who are sent by God. And what their involvement here is saying is that God is involved in the affairs of earth, that heaven, where angels and God dwell, has intercourse with the dealings of earth. But the third thing and the most important thing that Jacob sees is verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above the stairway. Jacob sees the Lord himself, not just standing at the top of the stairway, but literally standing over him, standing over him in a moment of deep intimacy and affection. The Lord, I mean, Jacob is forlorn. He's in this wilderness by himself, and the Lord is over him. In verses 13 and 14, God starts to speak and says who he is and what he will do. How he will remain true to his promise. And then in verse 15, in verse 15, he speaks directly into Jacob's experience and he tells Jacob three things. To this man who is lonely without friends or family, he says, I am with you. The second thing he tells him, and to this defenseless man who's sleeping out in the open, he says, I will keep you wherever you go. And to this man without a home, this drifter, he says, I will bring you back to this land. I'll bring you home. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. I will be with you. I will keep you. I will bring you home. (laughs) Jacob sees three things and he hears three things. And I want to see, I see three things, hear three. I want us to notice three things about this. Three things to learn from Jacob. First is this. God shows up in the most unexpected places in our life. One preacher says it this way, wherever you are, however far you have wondered, how much you are at a non-place in your life, 
that not only can be, but is often the place where God meets you, where God meets you. I loved having Anwar with us last week, and I love the image of him going to prison. You know the story. So many people come to faith in prison, the most unlikely of places, but people meet God in prison. That's why Anwar wanted to be there, pastoring in a prison. God shows up in the most unexpected places. So if you are transitioning to a new place, a new school, a new job, if there's a new challenge, maybe you are awash in grief. You can hardly get out of bed in the morning. Maybe you are simply numb. Note this, Jacob was not seeking God. He was lost to himself. But God came to him. He drew near to him. God shows up in unexpected places. Second thing I want us to notice, though, is the feel of the dream. Notice the feel of the dream. Notice what is not in the dream. There's no review of Jacob's past sin. There's no talk of his lying. There's no speaking of his stealing. There's no speaking of his blaspheming. There's nothing about his past, right? There's nothing, you know, wagging the finger at him, you bad boy. Nor is there any demand for the future. You better clean up. There's nothing of that in this dream. There's nothing about his past, which is terrible. There's nothing about his future demanding that he be better. Right? What is it? As Derek Kidner says, he says, this dream is a steady stream of assurances. It's a stream of assurances to Jacob. From the central assurance that I am the Lord, it spreads from the past to the distant future, from the spot where Jacob lay to the four corners of the earth, from, one, from his person to all of humankind. Which is to say this, God has looked into Jacob's heart. He has seen the darkness and he is not disgusted. Rather, he is delighted with Jacob. He has looked all the way down into Jacob. He is not disgusted. He is delighted and he gives him this dream that is so positive, this stream of assurances. My friends... God has looked all the way down into you. He, that thing that you think nobody knows about, that not even your spouse knows about, whatever that is, God knows it. He has seen it, and he is not disgusted. In fact, not only is he not disgusted, he is delighted. He is delighted to give you a future and a promise. This is an undeserving man, Jacob, who is offered unconditional acceptance with joy. So the first two things to notice are God showing up in unexpected places and then the feel, the tenor of the dream. But third, the most important thing to notice in this passage is God. Now Jacob has been dodging God all of his life. Now Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. He is the son of Isaac, okay? He would have, he would have heard the stories he would have known about God. I mean, like, you know, I'm sure that Isaac would sit there like in a family devotion telling about Abraham. And, you know, and Jacob's just, you know, flipping through his phone, just scrolling through his phone. Like, yeah, dad. Yeah, dad. Yeah. All right. He has heard all the stories. He had zero interest in God. But now he has to deal squarely with a God who is standing over him in delight. You know, Grace, our church, and I never want to lose this, we talk a lot about making space for questions, that uh, if people are coming, they're seeking and have a questions about the Christian faith, that this is a place where you can ask questions. And I'm planning to do a question and answer in a few weeks after the sermon. And yes, 
But here Jacob himself is being questioned. He is confronted with God himself. You see, friends, we ask our questions, but there comes a point where we have to give an answer to the God who stands over us in delight. So how will Jacob respond? How do you respond? Let's see how Jacob responds. In verses 16 to the end of the chapter, Jacob responds. He responds first in the middle of the night, verses 16 and 17, and then he responds further in the morning. Let's look mostly at the middle of the night. So what Jacob has had this experience, something clicks. And in verse 16 he says this, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now this is the pivot point of Jacob's life. He will struggle for years to come. In fact, he'll fail in many ways. The old nature is hard to shake. But Jacob changes. He changes. And here he realizes that God is present. And that's not altogether, though, good news to him. He says, verse 17, he was afraid. And How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He says, how awesome is this? This is not like surfer awesome. This is like, like hang loose awesome. This is filled with awe. This is terror. And then he says he encounters the ladder. He calls it the gate, the gate of heaven. You see, all of Jacob's life, he has been climbing ladders. He's been climbing ladders, trying to get all the benefits of the blessing, hoping to see the gate of heaven open to him. But now the one who blesses shows up and opens the gate. And Jacob instinctively knows he cannot climb this ladder. He cannot enter the gate of heaven. That is why he is terrified. He knows he can't open the gate. But I think that one reason that Jacob has so much resonance with us and that this story has resonance with us, Jacob is such a modern character. But we're all climbing ladders, right? We're all trying to find God. We might not call it God. I love what the French existentialist said. Every man who knocked on the door of a brothel was looking for God. To find God, to find something. We climb the ladder of religion by being good. We climb the ladder of experience. That's what Led Zeppelin is talking about. We climb the ladder of success. Enough money, enough power, enough experiences. Then I'll be okay. Or then there's the ladder of doing enough to feel significant. You get the part in the play. You make the team. You get that promotion at work. And all of those ladders, when you get to the top of them, they feel good at the moment. But then they're not enough. And so we start climbing another ladder. And as Jacob experiences this ladder, he is rightly terrified. He is exposed. He knows he cannot climb the ladder. He doesn't measure up. You see, Jacob intuited and it takes Jesus to make sense of this for us. Jesus will pick up this image in John chapter 1, where he basically says, I am Jacob's ladder. In John chapter 1, this man named Nathaniel comes to Jesus. Actually, Jesus sees him from afar, and he calls him to himself. He's like, how did you see me, and how do you know my character? Nathaniel doesn't understand how Jesus knows him. And this is what Jesus says. This is John in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 50. Jesus answered, he said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these, Nathaniel. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending 
on the Son of Man. Now you need to know that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He's saying, he's referring to himself. And what Jesus is saying in John chapter 1 is, I am Jacob's ladder. I am Jacob's ladder. I am the stairway from heaven, Jesus says. I am the gate to heaven. I am the link between heaven and earth. And you cannot climb this ladder. You can't climb this ladder to satisfaction, to joy, to salvation. But Jesus is saying, I have come to you. This is such good news. The ladder has come down. We don't go up. The ladder has come down. And his name, the ladder's name, is Jesus. Have you experienced Jesus as the gate of heaven? The fullness of joy, satisfaction, rest for your soul. The only one in whom you can find rest for your soul. All other ladders will fail you and tell you that you have to climb again. And if you have not experienced Jesus in this way, if you have not experienced Jesus in this way of fulfillment and rest and salvation, maybe it's because you're looking to Jesus as a teacher who's pointing to the ladder and say, climb like this. Or maybe it's because you're looking to Jesus as a moral example, the one who did right. Or maybe even looking to Jesus as an inspiration, the one who loved so much that he died. But we have to understand that Jesus is not pointing to the ladder. Jesus is the ladder. And he says that we must partake of him. This week I was with someone who is not well. Not well. And um, I was reading scripture with, with this person and they had asked me to read this passage, interesting, from John chapter 6. And I just thought how offensive and true and important it is. And it's John chapter 6 when Jesus says this. It's just a few chapters after John 1. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. That's so offensive. But Jesus is saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Unless you come to me as letter, not something that you climb up but that you embrace me. You see, all other religions, including the secular religion that says you've got to do all these things to find your own significance, they say climb the ladder. But Jesus says, I am the ladder. As Tim Keller says on this passage, Christianity is the only religion that God fulfills and becomes the steps for you. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. And if you have not had that experience of the gate of heaven opening up, it's because you're looking to Jesus as something other than the sacrifice, as something other than the substitute. Come to him as the one who has come to us, as the God who has come near and has given his life. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. So that's the evening response of Jacob, Jacob's ladder. But then secondly, real briefly, the morning responses, verses 22, 20 and 21 and 22. Um, actually, verse 18, excuse me, verse 18. Now, verse 18, I won't go into this at all, but Jacob wakes up in the morning. He's like, man, this is an amazing place. So he builds an altar. Functionally, he worships. What does he do? How does Jacob respond? He responds first in verse 18 and 19 by worshiping God. But then, verses 20 and 22, he prays. I won't read the prayer. It's actually a terrible prayer, okay? He says this, basically, verse 20, God, if you will be with me, if you will be with me, into verse 21, then I will let you be my God. Okay? Not a good prayer to pray. I don't commend this kind of prayer. If, if you'll do this for me, God, then I will do this. But here is the point. Jacob is moving in the right direction. This is a good trajectory. 
right? And from this moment on, God begins to untwist the knot that is on the inside of Jacob. The ter- it's a terrible prayer, right? It's not the right language. You know, in a Presbyterian church, we'd say, you could never pray. If you, if you turned in a prayer to me to say from this microphone, I'd say, you can't pray that prayer here. <laughs> but what? The trajectory is exactly right, though. And God begins the untwisting of the knot of this man named Jacob. It'll take 70 years to untwist the knot. But let me just ask you this question. Who wants to be untwisted? I do. I do. And I hope that you do too. Because here is where the beginning of the untwisting begins. Because Jacob may not be the man he wants to be in Genesis 28. And he's not, gonna, he's not at this moment the man that he one day will be. But thank God he is not the man that he was Grace and God have entered into his life, and so the change begins. That's a long road, and the stories will come in weeks to come. I mean, Jacob, he's tough. (laughs) The knot was tied tight in him. Uh, He's a man who stumbles many times. After this conversion experience, let me tell you what happens after his conversion. We've already seen his lying and cheating in the past. After he's converted, he fathers children by four women. He deceives his father-in-law. He runs away again. He's not able to fully accept his brother's forgiveness. And then he has 12 sons and he favors one dramatically over the others. All of this leads to domestic unrest within his house. But slowly, by the awful and steady grace of God, Jacob is changed. At the end of his life, some 70 years later, 70 years after the inbreaking of, of grace in his life, Jacob, Joseph uh, stands before the most powerful man in all the world. Pharaoh, and this is what it says, this is Genesis 47. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of my sojourning in 130 years, few and evil have been the years of my life. And he goes on, and in the next verse, he takes his hands and he lays them on Pharaoh and he blesses Pharaoh. Jacob is saying, my life has been hard, and it has been hard. But God has been doing something in Jacob. A reorientation that begins with this dream in Genesis 28. And it finds its culmination when he reaches out and blesses Pharaoh with great spiritual authority. Jacob has been changed. And it all begins with a dream in the wilderness. God changes Jacob by his grace. This is unconditional acceptance by an unobligated God for an undeserving man. Now I want to leave you with a, a, I want to leave you by asking you to re-enter the story. Um, and ask you, I, I started unusually, I'm going to finish unusually by just asking you a couple of questions. First I want you to think, I want you to look at Jacob, look at his life in the wilderness in this moment, forlorn. And I want you to ask yourself, where am I? Where am I right now? Maybe you're in a moment of great joy and jubilation and ease. Maybe you're in a moment of great distress. Where am I? But in that moment, be honest with yourself about that moment. Where is God speaking to you now? He's speaking right now in the preaching of God's word. He's going to speak to us just a moment in the Lord's Supper. But where is God speaking? Is he shouting to you in your pain? Is he whispering to you in your comfort? Is he speaking to you in the beautiful autumn that we're having? Is he talking to you in scripture? Where is God speaking to you? Do you hear his voice? Do you see his delight in you? Maybe it's in a dream. Do you hear God's voice? Where are you experiencing and hearing God? And then the final question, 
How are you going to respond? You're, you are where you are. As I say many times, you have to love your own story. And you have to love your own story where it is right now. Difficult marriage, sickness, wherever it is. Love your own story. Trust that God is speaking. But how will you respond to a God who is speaking to you, not in disgust, but in great, great delight? The story of Jacob. Let me pray for us. Our great God, we thank you. All of us are climbing different ladders. We know even when we get to the top of them, they don't satisfy. We thank you that in your great love, you have sent your son as a stairway from heaven. The fullness of joy, satisfaction, and rest. I pray, Lord, that we would experience that again today. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen.